It's getting a little crazy out there, folks. If we're not talking to these about these things with our children, they're going to end up with a lot of goofy ideas. It's not a subject I particularly want to talk about, but I think it's really important. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, God, so God, created man in His own image. In the image of God created he, he, Him, male and female created He, them. Not going to hear much about that at school, at college, at work. But you're going to hear about it here. Because as Jacob prayed this morning, he talked about the value of truth and how important it is that we think about the truth. And so that's what we want to do this morning as we consider this subject. The contemporary, I I got this off the internet, I, I think it was probably the Focus on Family website or something, but The contemporary transgender movement originated in the 1950s when Dr. John Money coined, that's kind of a neat little phrase, isn't it? Dr. John Money coined this term, gender identity. It's not a Bible term, is it? Well, this is the guy that, where it started. He used the term to differentiate between sex the biological reality of being male or female, he, he thought it was important to make a distinction. And so he made this distinction between sex and gender, gender being a psychological or spiritual condition, including a person's thoughts, beliefs, and feelings about being male and female. So that's where all of this started And it's led us to where we're at today. Your gender is not about your biological, the way God made you. It's about how you feel. How you feel about yourself. So, when you go and you look in a dictionary, you'll find a definition of gender, something like this. The state of being male or female. That's fairly straightforward. It's the part in parentheses that gets us in trouble and where we get off track. Because typically this term is used with reference to social and cultural differences rather than the biological ones. So again, it takes us back to the original idea that Dr. John Money had about gender. It's not about biological facts. It's about how you feel. And the result of that is, in these next few phrases I just got off of random websites, uh, gender identity is the personal sense of one's own gender. So you are what you feel like you are. And if you feel like you're one thing one day and you feel like you're something else the next day, then that's what it is. And if, 
as Christians or anybody else, you're not sensitive to that, then you get called a bunch of ugly names. And so the challenge for you and I, for me, is how do you respond to that with kindness and compassion? Because my instinctive response is, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? But there's people out there struggling, obviously. Gender identity in 2018 is taken more seriously. And what that means is that the current list of genders is, there's 112. There's not two, there's 112. And I will tell you that number came from February of 2018, and I suspect it's already much higher. Because your gender, from this perspective, is based on how you feel. And there will be no end to it, folks. Because feelings are everywhere, and we know feelings are everywhere, don't we? That's why we need the truth of God's Word to ground us and bring us back to where we're supposed to be. Amen. And I want to do that with kindness and compassion. Not only this morning, but every day. And that's our challenge. So we have this statement, again from a website. Since we've been freed... From this binary, the truth, we've been freed from that. It's no longer about boy and girl. Gender identity is a shifting landscape. Can science help us navigate? I don't know if science can help us navigate, but God can. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. We notice there in Genesis chapter 1, at the end, he says, God created us, male and female, in His image. And so that's where I want us to start as we consider this topic this morning. Man and woman are the crowning part of God's creation. And He created us in His image. And let's not get off track, folks. God is a spirit. We're not like God in that way. We do have a spirit. But we are made in His image. And it was a beautiful part of His creation. It was the best part of His creation. And it is the best part of His creation. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as he talks here, he identifies the three parts of man. And as we think about being made in God's image, the best way I know how to describe that is 
It's like the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit make up God. And in that way, we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a physical body. And God created us in His image in that way. And those are the things that make us different than animals. And that make us more important. And that make us more valuable than animals or than any other part of God's creation. This body is not eternal. But our soul and our spirit are. And in eternity we will be joined with a different body that will be eternal. That's why we have value, folks. It's not about how you feel. God created you for a reason and with purpose. That's why you have value. That's why I have value. It's because God gave it to us. And He gave it to us from the very beginning. Psalms 139 and verse 14, the psalmist says, I will praise Thee. Do we praise God for the way we are? The way we're made? Do we use the gifts that God has given us to honor Him? Or is it all about me? Is it all about me? Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We need to remember where we came from, and how God made us. And we need to honor Him for that, and we need to glorify Him for that. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul makes this statement, There is neither Jew nor Greek. Race doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. There is neither bond nor free. Doesn't matter if you're a slave or a slave owner. Doesn't matter if you're bound in prison or you're free. It doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. There is neither male nor female. Is he saying there's no gender? Well, obviously not. What he's saying is that in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter if you're man or woman. You have value and you're important. Why? For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And folks, the devil is working every day to divide us. In every way, he's trying to divide us. And we're going to talk about that some more as we go through. Because we need to remember what the Apostle Paul says here. In Christ Jesus, we're all one. We have the same purpose. We have the same goal. We want to get to the same place. And we don't need to forget that. And we don't need to let the devil divide us and create conflict. Because he will, and that's what this is all about. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created 
in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There's our purpose, people. It's not about getting out there in the world and doing whatever I can to feel good. It's about doing the right thing, doing what God has asked us to do, fulfilling the role and the opportunities that God has given us as individuals, and glorifying Him for it. That's what we're created for. And we want to get to this place. And I didn't, I don't, <laughs> tried not to get bogged down in some of these things. There are several places that that could happen to me, and this is one of them. But folks, remember what John says. Now are we the sons of God, and if it doth not yet appear what we shall be. That body that I referenced early that we will have in the resurrection and in eternity, that's what he's talking about. He doesn't know. It hasn't been revealed to us what exactly that's going to be. But do you remember what Jesus said about marriage? In the resurrection, they'll neither be married nor given in marriage. This whole deal that we're talking about in eternity, it's not going to be an issue. It's not going to be an issue. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And that's where we want to be. That's what we want to get to. I don't suppose there's anybody here that is going to be shocked by this statement, but there's some people that are offended by the idea that men and women are different. We've noticed how the Bible is very clear about our value and our purpose and how in the kingdom of God we're united and we're one. But the next part of this discussion is we're different. So I want to notice what the Bible says about some of these differences. He's got this, folks. The differences are designed by God to complement each other, not create conflict. And when there's conflict, it's because the devil is at work. First Peter 3 and verse 7, Peter says this, really unpopular. Likewise, ye husbands, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now there's a lot of discussion, a lot of different ideas about the, what this weaker vessel means. What he's doing, I believe, is he's identifying the, one of the differences in men and women. 
And whether you want to take that and say he's talking about the physical aspect of it, the emotional aspect of it, or the spiritual aspect of it, he's identifying the fact that men and women are different. Men are designed, they were created to be husbands and fathers. Men, women, I'm sorry, were created to be wives and mothers. And they're given the tools they need to accomplish those separate roles. And I know, and God knows, and we all know that within the spectrum of men, there's all kinds of variables in there. There is. We're all different. We're all absolutely different. Same thing with women. Every woman has their own very distinct personality, desires, gifts. And all of those things were given to you and to given to us by God to complement and help each other. Are we going to use that the way God designed it? Or are we going to let the devil create conflict and problems? Husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. It's not easy being a good husband, y'all. We just kind of want to drift through life. That's pretty easy. But to do it well and to do it the way God wants us to, it's not easy. It's not easy being a good wife. It's work. But it's worth working at. It's worth making an effort. It's worth paying attention to what God has to say to us about these different roles. First Timothy 2 and verse 12. The apostle here, I believe, is addressing a woman's role in what we would call assemblies. Their public role. And what he says about that is, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority. God's made us different. He's put us in different places and given us different responsibilities. But to be in silence. So, here's the point, folks. And we're going to get to this momentarily, but women are supposed to be teaching it's one of the things God expects you to do, but not in a public way. He's placed a restriction on that. And He tells us why He's placed a restriction on that. And this identifies some other differences in men and women, I believe. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. It's just by necessity. Somebody had to come first. Don't make us unequal. It don't make one more important than the other. It's just a fact. And the second part of that, he says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Hear me out on this. 
We already looked over there at 1 Peter 3 where Peter said and referred to the woman as being the weaker vessel, right? What does the devil do? He attacks our weakness, doesn't he? Why didn't he go to Adam here? He went to Eve. And there's two reasons he went to Eve, or maybe more than two, but one of them is he saw a weakness. Does that mean every woman that's ever existed has the same weakness? No, it doesn't. We're all different. But I do think it's possible that that's what Peter was referring to when he referred to the woman as the weaker vessel. Folks, we've got to acknowledge we've got weaknesses. What was the man's weakness? Listening to his wife. The devil knew how to get him too, didn't he? Is the Apostle Paul saying that Adam was without fault here? Well, certainly not. Adam was punished just like Eve was. They were both in the wrong. But the devil attacked the weakness. And if we can acknowledge our weakness, we can overcome it. And we can help each other with it. Or we can let him, the devil, divide us. And create conflict. Genesis 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. Well, now what's that all about? So he creates Adam. Adam then they looks through all of the other creation for somebody to help him. Not, nobody, nothing's found. And this is what God says. Man doesn't need to be alone. Are we listening? Guys? And here's the point. We get all bogged down in the fact that he says the woman is... Uh, help me, but we miss the fact that the man's the one that needs help. We don't need to be alone. We can't do this alone. I don't care how gifted and talented you are or how smart you are. You're better if you've got a wife by your side because she was created for you. I don't want to talk about hair. If you want to study this first part of 1 Corinthians 11, I'll, I'll give you a little piece of advice. I believe Paul was asked a question about whether or not the women should wear a veil while praying. And in answering that question, he goes through these however many verses in the first part of 1 Corinthians 11. 
And he answers their question about whether or not she should wear a veil. That's what the hair is about. But I want us to notice what he says here in verses 7 through 9. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. Remember we started in, first, in Genesis 1 and 27, we were created in God's image. For as much as he is the image of glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Now what's that about? We'll hear him out. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. The rib. Guys, he's talking about the missing rib. God created man from the dust. He created woman with a rib from the man. That's what he's talking about. We're different. Guess what? Ladies, y'all have more ribs than I do, I think. I've, I've never counted them, but I'm pretty sure that's right. We're different. We're different physically. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. I come across this quote... And any married woman can say the same thing, but this was said of Albert Einstein's wife. The question was asked, do you understand the theory of relativity? And she said, no, but I understand Mr. Einstein. We talk and we laugh and we about this difference in men and women. But ladies, I think you understand your husband. And guys, I don't know if we're royal. We're different. We're supposed to be different. He goes on to say here in 1 Corinthians 11, in these verses, he's obviously talking about the rib that he took from Adam and made woman, but guess what, guys? We were all bored by a woman, weren't we? We all were. There's a, there's a connection that we're different, but it's a good difference. It's not an unequal different. It's a blessed different. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Why does they direct this to women? Because we're different. And ladies, as you consider what you wear, I want you to remember the difference. It affects men. 
And you can stand up here and preach all day long how we ought to have pure thoughts, and we should. But this is the other part of the equation. And again, I don't want to get bogged down in this, but my point this morning is we're different. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to your Lord God, to the Lord your God. I'm not, I don't want to go to Deuteronomy and try to take a part of the old law and bind it on anybody. What I want us to do is consider what God's perception of men and women is. If He didn't see us a certain way, He wouldn't have given them this law. Men are men and women are women. And we know what He's talking about, people. He's not talking about in the American culture today whether or not some guy wants to wear sandals. That's not what He's talking about. Or a pink shirt. He's talking about a person that very intentionally puts on the clothes of the opposite sex. That's what He's talking about. And God sees us differently. It's why He had this rule in the law of Moses. We're different emotionally. And again, I would remind you what I said earlier. Every individual is different emotionally. But as a general rule, women tend to be more emotional, right? So we have this story in Luke 7. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind them weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. She was touched. She was emotional for whatever reason about this opportunity. And she washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And you know what the guys were doing? They were over there grumbling, and saying, they knew she was a sinner. Right? Her emotions served her well. They served her well. We don't want to be controlled by our emotions and our feelings, as I said in the beginning, but they can serve you well, ladies. And they can serve us all well if they're managed and used appropriately. So we're different. And as I've said, the reason we're different is because God has given us different roles. And this is where it gets really sticky, people. 
Because you start talking about these things out there in the world, and again, you're going to start being called names. But we're not out there in the world. We're here to look at the truth. Titus 2, verse 3. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. Now what we've done, folks, is all too often is we've let a carnal perspective get in the middle of the way we see what the Apostle says here. And we've got to be able to set that aside for women. Now I'm not foolish enough to try to say at what age you become an older woman. I, I don't know. But just about every one of you are older than somebody. And so you have an opportunity, I believe, to teach the younger, okay? And what does he say to teach them? Well, good things. Okay, we'll do that. Well, he gets a little more specific than that, doesn't he? I, I, don't, I don't want to ignore the other things that he said in this scripture, but I do want to emphasize roles. Because I believe he's identified here three roles for a woman. The first one is, he said to the older women, teach your, your younger women to love their husbands and to obey them. That's really not all that complicated, is it? Well, yeah, it is actually. Because the devil gets in the middle of it and gets it all confused and messed up and creates conflict instead of us accepting the fact that God gave the husband a different role and that the role he gave to the wives was to submit, to love and obey. And older women, I can stand up here and point the Scripture out to you but He gives you the job of teaching the younger women how to do this. I can't do that. I'm not a woman. I'm not a wife. I can identify the Scripture. You can put it into practice. Please do that. Please make that a priority. Please acknowledge that you can do a lot of things in your life. And they're all well and good, but this is important. And so is this. And we see ladies in the world, and again, I know there's people in all kinds of different situations, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. What I'm trying to do is identify the ideal what our goal should be, what our priority should be. It will never happen. 
The second one he mentions here is to love their children. And we just throw our young ladies out there sometimes and expect them to know how to do it. And what the apostle says is, older women, you need to be teaching these young women how to love their children. It's important. Your role as a mother is valuable and important. Don't neglect it. Keepers at home. I'm going to have to do a little quick math here. Our second daughter, Laura, is 35, I believe. She was in the fourth grade when this happened, so that would have been 25 years ago. They had career day. Well, what Laura put down that she wanted to be for career day was a homemaker. You know what response she got 25 years ago? No, you've got to pick something else. Now, folks, let's, let's stay engaged here. Because the devil's going to try to separate us on this issue. I don't believe it matters whether you're working outside of the home or not. I think the apostle is saying, women, this needs to be a priority for you. And what the devil's done is he's taken the women that works outside of the home and the women that are able to stay at home, and he's created this conflict. I don't care if you're working outside of the home or not. I don't believe that's the issue. The issue and the question is, is this important work? Does it make a difference? It makes a huge difference. And guys, mothers, fathers, if we neglect to teach our daughters the importance and the value of these three things, we've done them a great disservice. And I know we live in a messed up world where it takes two incomes a lot of time and all of that stuff. I get that. But the truth is, this is... Romans 16, verse 1 and 2. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord as become the saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Tell me, keeping a home and being hospitable and providing food is not important. Who in your home is priceless? Don't neglect it. First Thessalonians two and verse seven, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Folks, and, and I, again, that's why these things are important. We need to be helping our young folks avoid that. 
But kids need a mother and a father. We know that. We know that instinctively. Mothers nurse and care for their children. Anybody in charge to every one of you as a father doth his children. First Thessalonians 2 and 11. I don't do so well with the comforting, but I'm a pretty good, well, I don't know about even exhorting, but I can charge my kids, trust me. We have different roles. One role's not more important than the other. They're both priceless. We need to step up and we need to fill our role as best we can. And we need to help each other and we need to encourage each other to fill our role instead of letting the devil create all this conflict. We get all bogged down and thinking, well, you're saying a woman can't... No, I'm not saying a woman can't do anything. I'm saying I can't do some things and I need help. Colossians 3 and verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, own husbands. Just fixing to try to make you, all you women submit to me, wasn't you? Submit to your husband as is fit in the Lord. And the balance to that is husbands, love your wives. It's not a bad relationship. It's a great blessing. You have a disagreement, so you have a discussion. The husband lovingly considers what his wife has to say, and then he makes his decision, and then the wife supports the decision. It's not complicated. But what happens too often is you have the conflict, you have the discussion, the husband tries to make the decision, and then his wife goes around and tells everybody she can find how stupid her husband is. Is that what he described here? And he may be. That's not the issue. Submit. Go along. Let's work together. He'll figure it out eventually how stupid he is. And be not bitter against them, husbands. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And there's any one of these topics that I've spent a little bit of time on that you could build a whole sermon about. But I wanted to look at the big picture. And I want us to remember how important these different roles are. And how God has equipped us to fill these roles. And to be successful in these roles. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. To avoid fornication. It's the beauty of the marital relationship. When we do what he says here, 
It's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. It's a great blessing. It helps us all. But we got to do it. And we got to do it the way he says to here. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Why? The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Remember, we're different, but we complement each other. In a loving relationship, you practice this with selflessness, not selfishness. It's not about what you want. You practice it with selflessness in contrast to everything you're going to hear in the world. It's all about you. And this is going to make for the most, what is it people always say? A good marriage is the closest thing to heaven on earth and a bad one is the closest thing to hell. First Timothy 3 and verse 2, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given hospitality, apt to teach. I said it a while ago, and I'm going to say it again. I'm an elder, but I need all the help I can get from my wife. And if we work together, we can be productive, ineffective, and helpful. But if we can't work together... It's the exact opposite. It's just chaos. God has a different perspective on strength and weakness than we do. It's one reason we have so much conflict. And we need to remember the way God looks at things. Remember what Jesus said about being a servant? You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then serve. Well, that's completely counterintuitive. We see that, we view that from a carnal perspective as being weak. That's not what Jesus said. So the apostle says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh are called. Do we understand what he's trying to communicate to us? We look at these things through a carnal perspective and it makes no sense to us. Well, we can't do that. That won't work. That's not the world we live in. That's why wise men after the flesh don't get it. We don't want to be wise after the flesh. We want to be wise about spiritual things. Because God had chosen few foolish things to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things 
which are mighty. Got two more points I want to touch on briefly. First Corinthians 15, he makes this statement. We that are strong then ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Right? As we consider gender roles, what we need to remember is that in a marriage, in parenting, in church work, in leadership, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. And we need to be helping each other with our weaknesses. And that's what he's talking about here. I know there's a specific context in which he makes this statement. But if we'll look in our marriage and we'll recognize that our spouse has certain weaknesses and we try to help them with that, we're going to bless our marriage. If we look at that weakness and so decide we want to try to exploit that to make ourselves feel better, we're going to hurt our marriage. And that's true in every relationship. We have the opportunity to help others with a weakness. And we have to remember, we all need help with weaknesses as well. This is my summary slide. And I just, we need godly men. We need godly men to make these roles a priority in their life. And we need our men to be men. We don't need them to be women. And the same thing is true of our ladies. We need you to be women. We need you to be godly women. We need you to embrace these roles and make these roles a priority in your life. And the church will be blessed. Our families will be blessed. Our community will be blessed. We'll all be blessed. And it's all for the glory of God. Even everyone that is called by my name, what did I just say? Godly men and women. That's what we need. And when we're called by His name, we need to remember, for I have created Him for my glory. That's what God said. So let's glorify God with every opportunity and in every way that we possibly can. I want to offer an invitation before we close. We never know the hearts of those present. We find this a good opportunity to give to people that might need prayers of the brethren. We want to do that for you. If you've been taught the gospel and want to be baptized this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to do that as well. Please come one or more of either class as we stand and sing.